another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast, a.k.a. the best, most encouraging podcast around. So if you have not met me, I'm Susie Lolly, and this is my lovely friend, Carol Whitaker. Um, And we strive every time to bring you posts and podcast episodes that will really lift you up, connect to the Word, let you know that the Bible is still as relevant today as it ever was. And so we're on a month of forgiveness, not that we shouldn't be on a lifetime of forgiveness, but on the podcast and on the blog, which is at BeulahGirl.com, we're on kind of a a ministry month of talking about forgiveness and all of its different forms. And so I got so giddy, Carol, when I opened up, (laughs) you know, Carol will send me her her posts to read so that we can prepare for our interviews. And so when I saw that that Pride and Prejudice was mentioned at the very beginning, I just couldn't get be more excited. So Carol, go ahead and tell us about Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth and how somehow they are going to connect to the prodigal son. I can't wait for this connection. Go ahead. Okay. So this is uh, not to confuse those of you listening, because some of you may be wondering how forgiveness ties in with Pride and Prejudice <laughs> and the prodigal son, and it all does. But years ago, I used to be an English teacher uh, with Susie Lolly here before we were wonderful uh, podcast. Um, what what are friends. we I friends? Don't know. <laughs> um, co-hosts here. We used to teach English in the same school, and one of the books that I taught was Pride and Prejudice. And this is if you're a Jane Austen fan, then you are familiar with Pride and Prejudice. But it's one of my favorites that she has written, if not my favorite. But in Pride and Prejudice, you have Elizabeth Bennet, and she is the hero of the story um actually the story is kind of parallel a parallel um i guess romance it shares elizabeth's romance with mr darcy and then it also shares the romance her sister has but it is elizabeth who really takes the spotlight and if you are a fiction reader or you just like a good story then you know that in order to carry a good story, you have to have a great hero. So Elizabeth is definitely that. She is witty. She notices everyone else's flaws and says the funniest little things. <laughs> well, usually just in her head, but has these observations about everyone else's shortcomings. Yes. That kind of hero, but not in a mean way. She's very, very likable. And she's very independent and very fierce. And I love, the thing I love about her the most, I think, is that she doesn't, she knows a lot about other people, but there's she doesn't even know her own self. As the book progresses, she you know she doesn't realize some of her own character flaws and and um, doesn't realize I guess you know some of those and realizes those as the book progresses. But how this ties in with the parable of the prodigal son is that in fiction books such as Pride and Prejudice, we often latch onto the major characters or the ones that are mentioned the most in the story, such as Elizabeth. But we often ignore or put to the side some of the less mentioned characters. And those characters can really teach us a lot as well. And so in the parable of the prodigal son, the older brother is someone that honestly, I did not hear a whole lot of sermons about growing up or haven't read a whole lot of articles about, but there is a lot we can learn from him about forgiveness, just as we can learn from the rebellious actions of the younger brother, is (laughs) what I'm trying to say. So we get the story of the older brother in Luke, and I'm not going to read the entire uh, parable. You're probably familiar with it, but in the parable, there's 
a, a younger brother. He goes to his father. He asks for his share of the inheritance. His um, father agrees, gives it to him. He goes out. He spends the money on lavish, wild living, and he spends all of it, and he has no money left, so he goes to work at a pig farm, and he is so hungry. He is given nothing to eat, and he decides, you know, my father would you know treats his servants a lot better than they're treating me here why don't i just go home even though i've disgraced the family i've spent the entire inheritance why don't i just go home and work for my father as a servant so he goes home but when the father sees him he runs to him he puts this robe on him he welcomes him back home as if he never sinned against him right and so we're all familiar with that part. But when we pick the story up in Luke 15, 25 through 32, we see the older brother's reaction <laughs> to the party that is thrown for the younger brother. So when the younger brother, not only is a robe put on him, but then his father, you know, has a, a calf killed for him, throws this lavish celebration. And the older brother is working out in the field. Here's what's going on. And so that's where we're going to pick up in Luke 15, 25 through 32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you have ne never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fat fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And Carol, I'm sure you're going to get into this because you always have great insights from stories that we've read. You know, we might have read a story a million times. We've heard it in Children's Church. I love how you try to show the backstory a lot of times. We talked about, you know, Zacchaeus recently that same way. But um, in this story, I love that I'm kind of, as I'm reading this, thinking of how many times I was the older brother, how many times I've been a brat, <laughs> or how many times, like you said, with Pride and Prejudice and Elizabeth, she is very, you know, it's called Pride and Prejudice for a reason. She is the prejudiced one. Although Mr. Darcy might be prideful, she's the one that says, well, he doesn't do, you know, she's, she's analyzing in the background. And how many times all of us have probably been that self-righteous brat that instead of being happy when someone's redeemed or happy when something good happens for somebody else, we're like, well, I didn't get mine. What'd you do for me? <laughs> you know, kind of a really bratty thing. So you're going to give us a couple lessons we can learn about forgiveness from the older brother. And the first one you give us is that forgiveness costs us. So talk about that a little bit. One of the main, I think, lessons we can take away from the older brother's reaction is this, is that forgiveness doesn't come easily for any of us. It is very difficult mm -hmm. to forgive. The reason it's so difficult is because forgiveness comes with a huge price tag. It really does cost us to extend forgiveness to someone who has hurt us deeply or may just seem really undeserving in our eyes. Um, for instance, um, if we look at the story, let's say for a moment that the events actually did happen. Jesus made up the story mm -hmm. to illustrate a point about the heavenly, you know, his heavenly father and God's forgiveness. But let's say that this story was real. If we can imagine for a moment this actually happened, we can understand the older brother's reaction. Because if the younger brother indeed did go off and was living this lavish lifestyle, 
the older brother had to stay behind and <laughs> take on all the younger brothers were yeah uh, I, mean, I don't know they may have hired some more servants but it probably meant more of a workload he had to console the grieving father. Mm-hmm. He was the one that was sitting next to the father at night at the dinner table while maybe the dad was crying or missing the younger brother. I mean, there were, you know, there would be a whole lot of hurt that would happen to this family. And Legitimate. The older, yeah, yeah. And the older brother witnessed all this and even experienced consequences, most likely he would have, from this actually happening. So we can understand his reaction when he came in from the field, um, his anger at the fact that his um, father had thrown this huge celebration and he didn't want to go into the party and he was offended at how his father was treating the younger brother. And we're often the same way that maybe we know we've read all the verses on forgiveness. Maybe we've even done a study on forgiveness (laughs) or maybe we've even taught a Bible lesson. Okay. (laughs) I'm, I'm just raising my hand here in the room. I can just say that maybe you're like me and I've done a lot of reading and studying of forgiveness. I've been through a whole ministry training program where we had, I think we spent a month um, just looking at the biblical concept of forgiveness. So I know all the right things, but each of us, when we actually have that situation in our life, when we have to extend that to someone who it, they just don't really deserve it. Or maybe they've just done something really grievous to us, or maybe they're totally unrepentant. They're just, they, you know, you've brought to their attention the wrong they've done to you and they don't agree with your point of view. Right. And you still have to offer forgiveness. Now that doesn't mean you condone everything they do or you allow people to mistreat you or you just become a doormat. We've talked about that before. But you do have to actually extend the same grace that God has given you. And so that comes with a great cost because it means processing through the pain. It means overriding that human instinct which says that person's gonna pay for what they've done. And that, it, it is a hefty price. But one of the things we've talked about in our rejection series is that even though forgiveness, it does cost us, the cost of unforgiveness is even greater. Mm. And that is something that I continually come back to is that unforgiveness, when we look at what toll it takes on our minds, yeah. it says in the Bible that we won't be forgiven if we don't forgive others. That right. We're, that God will hand us over to our tormentor, that our our mind will be filled with thoughts of um, torment, we won't have peace, and it will have an impact on our physical body as well. So if we look at that, we see that, you know, forgiveness, even though it does have a cost, it is much less than the cost of unforgiveness, And but it's hard initially. And I like, Carol, how you don't just make this some trite thing. I mean, I've heard so many people, especially when somebody's not going through what you're going through. Okay, so for example, I want to have a baby, and people say, well, just don't think about it, then it'll happen. And I'm like, okay, you try not to think about something that's wrong with you, okay? Say your leg has a big gash in it. Just don't think about it, you know? And so um, in this same way, sometimes people will just say, you need to forgive them, blah, blah, blah. But maybe they're not hurting the way that you hurt. And maybe you and I have even told people to forgive. Like you said, we've taught the forgiveness message. But then when it comes time for us to forgive, it's a little bit harder. So I love that you're not just making this a small issue because it's not small. It does cost us something. But again, it brings such deliverance when we finally do walk in forgiveness. Um, It brings such peace. 
it releases us from torment and from chains and we can move on with our lives because we're not harnessed to that thing that happened whenever it happened. So in addition to that, there's another lesson we can learn from that older brother. And it's what I mentioned before, we might be self-righteous. Oh my, I've been there, done that. So tell us about this, uh, this lesson. Right. And before I move on to this point, I do just want to add on to respond to what you were saying that I have had many situations where I've counseled people or told them, you know, just forgive. And then, <laughs> or, you know, haven't been very compassionate right. about it. And right. then I've, uh, you know, a couple months go by or a year and all of a sudden I find myself in a situation that is just like theirs. And I realize, okay, I see why it's so difficult, you know, that it's, it's not easy, but definitely have had that um, situation. All right. So my second point, we may be self-righteous. Understandably, like the older brother, we may be offended by the idea of a person who has heard us receiving grace and forgiveness. Um, one time I heard a pastor say that we like for us, for ourselves, we like to receive God's grace, but for other people, we want God's judgment, right? <laughs> and so those words are, are certainly true. We want all the grace and mercy lavished on us, but for other people, we really do want them to pay when, when they hurt us. And some of us have been wounded in ways that, again, they've, you know, you may have things in your childhood that altered how you perceive life, may, you know, just deeply impacted you to the point that you just feel crippled by your pain. We've talked about that um, before. And so it may be very offensive to us, the idea that we forgive. But if we look at the older brother, again, he's been by his father's side. He's been working faithfully. But we see that when the disobedient brother returns, all of a sudden he's comparing himself to the brother and really in his own eyes, the older brother is elevating himself because he wasn't the one that left the family. He wasn't the one squandering the, the father's wealth with prostitutes. And so he begins to compare himself to his brother. And in his own eyes, he sees himself as the more righteous one mm -hmm. and the one more deserving of the father's, <laughs> um, the father's, you know, lavish parties and so forth. Yeah. I want to just point out a few things he says. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. So we see the, the focus on himself and how hard I've worked. I've never disobeyed. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. One of the things as I was studying this verse, it talks about is that he's saying, you know, you go and kill a calf for this disobedient, you know, son of yours. A calf would have been something they would have killed for a very you know, um, special celebration, mm. not something, it would be rolling out the filet mignon. It's not <laughs> the normal hamburger helper you have every <laughs> night of the week. Okay. And he says, you don't even, you haven't even killed a young goat for me and my friends. Okay. We haven't even gotten hamburger helper, <laughs> but, um, you kill the fattened calf. And I've read a similar analogy in commentary. So I, I'm not just rolling out these jokes coming from my own mind. Um, I really did kind of study up on and read some to be able to present this. But the other thing I want to point out is in this verse, which is 27, the older brother is so angry. He doesn't even use the word brother. He doesn't say, you threw this celebration for my brother. He says, this son of yours. <laughs> he refers to the brother as 
your son, you know, this son of yours. So he's not even willing to call him a brother at this point. But you can see that in his own eyes, he's really elevating himself and saying, you know, to the father, I'm deserving of everything you have, but my brother isn't because of his actions. And I love the response of the father in the story because the father says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. In other words, the father points out that the older brother would have nothing if it hadn't been for the generosity of the father and the wealth of the father. Because of those things, both sons could receive. Yeah. And it's the same with us, is that often when we are having a difficult time forgiving someone else, it's because we maybe sometimes in our mind are thinking of our own works and maybe we think we've been a better Christian this person or we haven't done what they've done. But we have to remember that all of us are described as being sinful in the Bible. And if not for what Jesus Christ did on the cross, none of us would be able to come to the Father at all. And I think often we forget that. We compare ourselves and it's very shaky ground to try to stand on our own righteousness because often how we view ourselves isn't even through a clear lens. We may not even see secret sins we have and maybe some of our sins are more hidden like pride or self-righteousness, mm-hmm. right? Whereas someone else's sins that are more overt, they're still sin, right? right. And we may think, well, I'm, I'm fine. But it says in the Bible that you know, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar, right? So we have to remember that it's because of what God's done for us that we can even have a position in the family. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I think I wrote this probably in a post for you. I think it was in a post I wrote for Beulah Girl, but um, I quoted To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch, who I think a lot of us who are English teachers or whoever read that in school hold up as kind of a moral high ground. And uh, Miss Maudie, who lives across the street, is talking about Atticus. And his kids have always thought he's lame. They're like, he can't do anything. He's old. He can't climb trees. He can't run in a race. His son, Jim, is talking about him. And she says, and they find out that their their dad was a really good shot back in the day. Like, he's really good with a gun. And, um, and they're like, why didn't he ever tell us that? You know, Jim is just blown away that, oh, my gosh, my stupid old dad actually does have a talent. And Miss Maudie says, a man in his right mind never takes pride in his talents. And it always brings me back to this. That's all she says. But, of course, I'm the English teacher. I go deeper. And being a Christian as well, we didn't give ourselves our talents. And so what right do we have to brag on anything that we have? So same with, you know, that that righteous older brother that unfortunately is an archetype of us a lot of times. Anything good that we have done or that we have in our lives all came from God anyway. So... Um, when we talk about others needing to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, or why didn't you do this for me? We're not realizing that we're not self-made either, that Jesus really has taken everything on him, and anything good we have is because he gave it to us. So um, at, you know, as we kind of wrap this up, what can we take from the story of the prodigal son? Of course, we've, we've kind of examined it from a different perspective here, but what would you like to leave us with from this story? Well, what I wanted to leave us with is that rather than take on this attitude of the older brother, this self-righteous sort of self-made attitude, 
when we're in a position where we have to extend forgiveness to someone else, we need to remember our Father's forgiveness of us in those moments when it's tough to forgive and also remember that the Bible tells us that even sinners treat their friends well and it's true Christ followers that show love and mercy not to those who just are friends right. or the people we like or the people that treat us well, but also those we might consider our enemies. I just want to read to you from Luke um, 6, 27 through 32. Um, I, I'm going to skip around. I'm not going to read the entire passage. I encourage you to read it on your own, but I'm going to read the beginning and sort of the end. But it says in Luke six twenty-seven to start, it says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Um, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. And then I want to skip down a little bit further. It says, um, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And it, it continues on. If you um, look down, it wraps up in verse 35. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then it just talks about how that's the attitude um, that, our, that our Heavenly Father has. And so I'm, I'm taking from this that we need to have a little bit more Jesus and a little less older brother. <laughs> Is that a good or older sister in the case of, of, of me? And I don't know, where do you come in your family? Are you the oldest? No, I'm not. I'm the second oldest. So so we won't talk about your older sister, but I know as having had a, an older sister experience myself that uh, there were times when I was pretty self-righteous in the, in the real world, not just in a metaphorical sense like Jesus is talking about here. So I'm going to pray for us and pray specifically that God would help us whenever we read the word to find ourselves in it. And if we find ourselves there in a comforting way, be thankful for that. But if we find ourselves in a convicting way there, to ask God to help us do something about that. God, we love you tonight. We thank you so much that you have extended permanent, complete forgiveness to us, God. That knowing everything we would ever be, everything we would ever do, how many times we'd act like the older or the younger brother, because they certainly both have their issues, that you were always going to be ready to die on the cross for us knowing that full well. God, I just pray tonight, Lord, that as people are listening to this episode, um, that they would be pricked in the heart if there is something in their lives that they're holding on to that is unforgiveness. God, there's nothing we can do to change other people. Anybody who's married or who has a family or has parents knows that we can want people to change as much as we want to, but there are times when we're not going to have a person that repents or asks forgiveness. And we're just going to have to say, God, I'm not just going to move on and be angry every time I think of that person, but God, I'm going to ask you to begin to do surgery in my heart, God, and cut out the things that are not like you, God, the pieces of unforgiveness that I just cannot let go of. It is not trite. It is not small. It's not easy uh, to forgive, but God, it's a commandment of yours. And any commandment you give us, you are the one who gives us the will and the ability to do of your good pleasure. We thank you, Lord, because you are going to make forgivers out of us. We thank you, Lord, that we're no longer going to be a prisoner held captive by unforgiveness. And we thank you, Lord, that all these things are possible in your name. In Jesus Christ, amen. 